How does this affect the beaver? Yo! Yo! Doug's secret place. This radioactivity is coming from Brian Suits on KFI. I would bomb the shit out of him. Dark Secret Place with Brian Suits on KFI. KFI. AM 640 more stimulating target is a dark secret place. Brian Suits in here until midnight. And what a night to be on the air. Because if you're uh, sitting there at home thinking that you're going to wake up tomorrow morning as a proud California uh, compliant AR-15 owner. Boy, I have news for you. You have one hour and 53 minutes. Get that some bitch California compliant or else that's going to be an assault weapon. At midnight, your semi-automatic fixed magazine, 10-round fixed magazine rifle is going to be an assault weapon at midnight on July 1st. 2018. You have until 11.59 and 59 uh, minutes. And I guess 59 seconds. They're not going to give you any uh, any good or so. Anyway, next hour, I will tell you how to avoid waking up as a felon. And I fully expect you to report yourself to the California Department of Justice. Is it hard? <clears throat> um, I think it's comply. a bit personal. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> oh it, it actually isn't. If you're, it's funny. If you are... California compliant right now. There's a couple things you can do to be compliant. There's five options, and I will tell you what those are. Cool. But we have half an hour left. I'll give you the five options. Uh, one of them is just amazingly simple. I mean, you can you. I'll I'll just tell you what one option is right now. Easiest option <clears throat> is to go to your closet, unlock the weapon which you have locked, and of course it's not loaded, and simply. Uh, unpin the upper receiver from the lower receiver. And you you um, are now uh, one hour and 52 minutes away from not being a felon. That will not be an assault weapon. What's the point? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. But there's other options. There's other options that retain some of the functionality. So we'll, uh, we'll get to that. However, also uh, leaks are telling us that the North Koreans are not in any way, shape, or form, uh, complying, speaking of that, with the spirit of the Singapore summit, which I have no idea what it was. No clue. Absolutely no idea. But uh, apparently neither did the North Koreans because they're continuing to uh, to build on their nuclear facility at Yongbyon where they enrich the uh, uraniums. But, uh, I mean, the, the uraniums. I'm sorry, the uranium. Uh, however, let's go live to the Iranian, the western Iranian town of Khorramshahr, uh, along the the uh, waterway, the, the Euphrates and Tigris meet in southern Iraq. The Euphrates and Tigris meet, and they form basically the border between Iraq and Iran in what's called the Shat al Arab uh, waterway. And there's a large Iranian city by the name of Khorramshahr. Uh, its residents are ethnic Arabs. Uh, they speak Arabic. They do business in Farsi. And, uh, and let's go live and uh, hear what's going on in Kormshar. That is not Iranian compliant. That is not compliant in Iran at all. That sounds like gunfire. 
It sounds like car alarms. Sounds like a guy on a motorcycle driving away. And look, there's a wounded guy being dragged around on the street. Well, I'm correct on all those points. What's going on in Iran uh, right now is the result of Saudi and uh, Kuwaiti and other Gulf uh, state intelligence agencies being unshackled by the current American president. Um, the, <clears throat> the Obama years, I, I understand the impression that a lot of uh, acolytes and leg humpers of Barack Obama have that he was uh, the most enlightened American president ever, the most erudite and traveled and, uh, and et cetera. You know, he'd never been to Europe until he was campaigning, and people don't understand that or know that. He doesn't speak another language. Uh, he can probably order chicken in Indonesia, but that's pretty much the extent of it. But um, he gave and left uh, this impression that he was uh, running the most enlightened American foreign policy ever. And after all, all the Europeans loved him, right? So he must have been a leader. Well, no, it's because he didn't, for eight years... Uh, he barely brought up, he, he did, however, bring it up, he, he brought it up occasionally, that the NATO nations in Europe and Canada were not ponying up their fair share. And by fair, I mean their agreed share of 4% of their GDP. Just that he didn't do it with the, 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 the gruff, grating, loud form that Donald Trump did. Uh, the other thing that Barack Obama did, and this is probably one of the least reported effects of the Barack Obama foreign policy in America. The Arab states hated him. And the Israelis hated him. This is the weird part. Now, the Israelis loved Reagan. The Arabs, eh, not so much. The Israelis loved George Bush. Yeah, the Arab states, eh, nah, not so much. The Israelis loved Clinton. The Arab states, yeah, not so much. The Israelis loved George W. Bush. Uh, the Arab states... That really hated him, uh, but then they had to like him and all that. They hated Obama, period, and so did the Israelis. Obama probably did more to bring Israel and Saudi Arabia together than any American president, and that wasn't the policy. He wasn't trying to. One of the things Obama did for eight years, um, in pressuring the Iranians to sign whatever deal we put in front of them and act like they were going to stop a nuclear program, which is effectively what they did, uh, we'll give you $180 billion of your own money that we're legally sitting on because the U.N. says we can. But you have to act like you're stopping your nuclear program, okay? That's, that's how that deal worked. In, meanwhile, behind closed doors, Obama told the Saudis and the other Gulf states, stop trying to destabilize Iran. The, Gulf, the, the Saudis and the Gulf states said, hey, do you want us to put some backdoor pressure on them? Because it's really easy. There's so many ethnicities in Iran that are not Persian. And they're, they all feel oppressed. There's non-Shia in Iran. There's Arab Sunnis. Believe it or not, there's, subs, there's a substantial, there are nearly a million Arab Sunnis in Iran. And we can fund some kind of low-level insurgency, and you can put all kinds of pressure on the Iranians. And Obama said, not only no, but I better not catch you doing that. Well, there's a new sheriff in town. And not only was the Iranian nuclear deal put on hold, you know, a few uh, a few weeks ago, but over a year ago, Saudi intelligence, Kuwaiti intelligence, other Gulf Arab states were given a green light to uh, do whatever the hell they want to destabilize Iran. And you know what's happening tonight? That's the sound of weapons that protesters took off of security forces because you can't own those in Iran. Iran's worse than California, believe it or not. They, 
they are disarming security forces and turning the weapons on the Iranian Revolutionary Guard in Iran. There is a armed shooting back revolution happening right now in Iran. We'll get to more of that uh, right after this. Get deeper into it. It's the Dark Secret Place. Your weekly look at the world melting down. Brian sits in here till midnight. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. KFI M640 more stimulating talk. It is the dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight. At which point, all of you deplorables with your AR-15s uh, that are legal in California right now, you're going to be felons. Uh, who knows? It's going to be an assault weapon. What can you do to prevent yourself from being a miscreant? We'll uh, we'll see. Um, by the way, we're. Uh, I, I was streaming on YouTube. We're, we're just having too much difficulty. So just, you know what? Listen on the terrestrial amplitude modulation, 640 kilohertz. Just do that. Let's just uh, screw the social media. Uh, we'll, we'll stop trying. Um, so the audio that I played you from uh, Koram Shah, uh, the, the fairly shocking development tonight in Iran, and of course it's, it's uh, past noon, uh, in Iran right now, but the shocking development was that in this majority uh, Arab town, Khorram Shar, near the Iranian border, uh, protesters were very well organized, uh, way better than 2009, and they seemed to have a mission, and the mission was to overwhelm the security forces that were sent by Tehran to uh, to quash. Uh, the uh, the uprising uh, and disarm them. Well, they did. the The Iranians um, have taken delivery of a particular uh, caliber of uh, Russian AK forty seven style rifle called the uh, the AK one hundred three. Uh, and the uh, the AK one hundred three um, is a uh, very very updated uh, version of the venerable Russian AK forty seven. Um, it, it fires the, uh, the it fires a regular AK forty seven round seven six two by by uh, three nine, uh, but it's got some product improvements and, and why why shouldn't it right you know the the first weapon uh, was fielded and and perfected uh, the, the in nineteen forty seven uh, but but the thing was so shockingly simple um, it, it you know you, you when you look at one from back in the day you wonder well how can you simplify it even more and the Russians. Uh, made it lighter, made it sturdier, and all thing. They continue to improve that basic rifle, and they sell it everywhere. They sell it to the Venezuelans. Uh, Chavez loved them. Uh, Venezuela, uh, the Venezuelan military are armed with the new updated AKs. So are the Iranians. Well, so that is what the uh, Revolutionary Guard special police were armed with, and <clears throat> evidently, I don't know how you disarm guys that are prepared to shoot you. Um, but uh, this is one of the issues that the Iranian regime have had since 2009. Um, and so just to get you up to speed, there there has been unrest for the past week and a half in Iran. As usual, it started slowly in Tehran uh, with protests. Uh, women have been refusing to uh, to wear the shador, the full uh, full headdress and and, uh, you know, uh, body, you know, it's not, not exactly a burqa. It's a little less than a burqa. The Iranian shador is a bit different. Um, and that's been causing a lot of social unrest. But one of the backgrounds uh, on this is that somebody somewhere on the interwebs uh, a few months ago began publishing the addresses and photographs 
of villas and very, very high-end residences that the the mullahs, the guys that run Iran, even though, yes, there's a elected president, whatever you want to call him, um, but but he is he really doesn't run Iran. Iran is run by the the Skiri, the Supreme Council of the Islamic Republic of Iran, and it is all Shia mullahs. Well, they have been enriching themselves. They have corrupted themselves, and they did it 40 years ago, let's be honest. Um, but they have been seizing property for their own personal gain, personal use, uh, things like that. Well, somebody has been getting access to very, very embarrassing high-resolution photos of the villas and things like that. And they've been distributing it on the Internet in Iran. It's fairly, fairly easy uh, to figure out who did it. Um, Saudi intelligence has been given a green light by the CIA to do what they wanted to do back in 2008, and that is destabilize Iran. They know that Iran is built on thin ice and that the Iranian people know full well that they are living in deprivation um, and that the $180 billion that came as a result of the nuclear deal did not trickle down to their universities um, where, where the Iranian people used to have a subsidy for cooking oil and flour and staples, including fuel, that went away. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad took that away, um, and it didn't come back with $180 billion, uh, from the nuclear deal. What happened with $180 billion is that officials enriched themselves. They wet their beaks. Uh, they bought Russian anti-air missiles. Uh, they're buying new airliners for the air for for Iran Air, which is their baby. The whole thing—it's a corrupt regime, masquerading as a theocracy. And the organization that they empower to keep them in charge, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, uh, those guys are sort of like the armed mafia uh, uh, frontmen. Um, they they run the special police and all these militias. Well, they've been they've been failing, and the unrest is spreading faster than it did in 2009. You're not seeing this in American media right now, um, and part of the reason is because we're getting hypnotized with fake oppression and fake protests, like we saw right here in L.A. today. More on that right after this, uh, and the uh, the progress of the uh, Iranian rebellion. It's moving city by city. Hour by hour, even as we speak. That and more coming up uh, right after this. Dark Secret Place, Brian Suits in here. Also, ir Iranian nuclear improvements. Oops, what what exactly was Singapore about? Right after this, uh, KFI M640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian sits in here until uh, midnight when you're all going to be felons if you don't convert your California-compliant AR-15 rifle into something that's not an assault weapon. It's going to be retroactively an assault weapon at uh, midnight. I know you're sitting there saying, well, wait, it's a semi-automatic centerfire rifle right now, and it's unloaded and locked in the closet, and it only fires... It only has a 10-round magazine. I can't even detach that from the rifle. You can't at all? Not even with that little tool? Oh, well, you can if you have a bullet button. But that's uh, illegal, too. Um, uh, Y'all. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it will be at midnight. Now, oh. are you, well, there's a way you can leave it on. But anyone else in the world would laugh at California calling that an assault rifle. Uh, for instance, uh, let's say some protesters in uh, the city of Khoramshar, Iran. I should point out that's semi, that's semi-auto, that's not full auto. That's um, that's somebody who sounds 
to me, like maybe they've been trained that uh, they know that um, that ammunition is finite and uh, and you're hard pressed for 2000 miles from where uh, this was recorded to find somebody that's aware that an AK47 has a semi-auto setting <laughs> but uh, anyway so somebody paid attention to the training so what's going on in Iran um con- contrast with what happened in America today People from Los Angeles to Bangor, Maine, uh, out in the streets calling for the abolition of ICE um, and calling uh, America enforcing border law oppression. Yet, oddly enough, thousands of people continue coming here every single month with their kids. Um, And then 80% of the kids are unaccompanied. So uh, they're obviously unaware of the handmaid's tale police state that we are here in America Um, Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, people had to take their lives uh, in their hands and disarm security forces to get weapons to shoot back at very actual oppression. Like, you know, uh, the the hang a 17-year-old girl uh, for blogging kind of oppression that happens in Iran. Uh, uh, Yeah, and the, uh, you know, hang a gay dude that happens in Iran. And, you know, well, pretty much hang anyone uh, because very actual oppression is happening uh, tonight in Iran because the Iranian authorities are getting more and more panicked. So the uh, the issue here is that uh, the, the Saudis and you heard, you've heard me talk about this now uh, for coming going on four years is that currently there is a very low level conflict in the Middle East between the Saudi bloc, the Gulf bloc, that's the UAE, Bahrain, uh, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia, and the Iranian bloc, which now includes Syria, Hezbollah, and occasionally Hamas. But as it turns out, nobody likes Hamas. Oh, yeah, funny thing, too. Uh, you know what they're chanting in Tehran? Death to Israel is normal. We, we, you know, that's so 40 years ago. Death to America is 40 years ago. Death to Palestine is what they're chanting, because um, part of the information operations against the mullahs, against Tehran, that the Saudis are mounting, uh, involve publicizing how much money the Iranians are giving to Hamas. And it it amounts to about $40 million a month. And what does Hamas do with the money? Well, they pay death benefits for martyrs, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, but they also funnel the money off, and in many, they also kick it back to the Iranians. But they're they're wetting their own beaks. Even the uh, even the people in Gaza, the people uh, the Palestinians that Hamas uh, has authority over, uh, don't like it. But in in Iran, uh, where they're they're paying to them the real cost of gas, they don't have their normal subsidies, and and things are going very badly. The idea that you're siphoning off thirty or forty million a month to the Palestinians and getting nothing out of it has enraged people. So the protests are happening all across Tehran and now all across the country. Um, the Saudis have also organized and financed a um, uh, just sp- uh, spontaneous terror group, a uh, supposed Al-Qaeda-linked Sunni-based uh, terror group has begun operating <clears throat> in the far east of Iran, in the hinterlands between Pakistan uh, and Iran. Their, uh, their refuge are the so-called tribal areas in Pakistan, where the Pakistani government doesn't have authority. There are self-administered tribal areas in, in, in Pakistan, the FATA, 
the federally administered tribal areas. Also, of course, in Afghanistan. So the terror group that the Saudis funded gets to run back across the border into NATO-controlled Afghanistan or Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. Uh, and what are they doing? Well, they're attacking Iranian police stations uh, and military bases in the far, far east of Iran. So in other words, there's two fronts here. There's an eternal front uh, that Gulf intelligence are, are funding by, by stoking unrest amongst the Iranian people, which doesn't take a lot to stoke. It's just that Obama didn't let them do it in 2009. When the Iranians first began rising up, uh, Obama told both sides to calm down, the side with the guns and the side with not the guns. Uh, the Saudis were aghast at that. So now they have a very, very willing uh, par uh, partner in Donald Trump, and they're going at it with their full checkbook uh, open, and they're getting results, um, the, probably beyond what they wish for. It's one thing to have street protests in Tehran, in the capital. It's entirely a different thing to get the Arab, the ethnic Arab population in southwest Iran to rise up and disarm authorities and then shoot back. So uh, there's a word for that, by the way, and it's rebellion. And it's freaking the, uh, the Iranians out uh, big time. What, what's their countermeasure? Well, what they did back in 2009 was they brought security forces in from far outside Tehran. Uh, where they don't speak Farsi, they speak other languages, and they brought those guys into Tehran. Problem now, tonight, today, is that it's not just confined to Tehran. It's now in areas that they're losing control, and that is, like I say, the one-plus million ethnic Arabs who live in Iran, they're the ones who are uh, somehow getting guns. Um, so this, uh, this is a big deal and this may change, uh, you know, by the end of the year, there, there might be a regime change. Maybe there's not. Maybe there's a wholesale slaughter of civilians. You know, never, ever, uh, over, probably never, ever underestimate what this regime will do with guns to its own people. All right, when we come back, uh, was Trump bamboozled uh, does, uh, by the North Koreans? Does this actually mean we can't trust? What's his name? Kim Jong-un? No, the rebounder. Um, oh, uh, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Does this really mean we can't trust Dennis Rodman's uh, judgment on nuclear proliferation? Uh, that of our, when we come back, Brian sits in here until uh, you're all felons with your assault weapons on KFI AM640. More stimulating talk. Forty more stimulating talk. You can't help but just sing along to that song. Anyway, never mind. Uh, if you want to do that on your own time, that's Jay and the Americans. The song has come a little bit closer, as featured in Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Uh, well, a uh, was it a leak or whatever? Anyway, the intelligence community uh, was the source of some information that has since been confirmed by. Uh, Japanese and South Korean intelligence that the North Koreans evidently uh, either the word didn't get out from Kim Jong-un down to the lower ranking scientists and engineers or possibility number two, they were absolutely playing the president for a fool. Um, the Yongbyon uh, nuclear facility <clears throat> is something that the North Koreans built decades ago and have improved and improved and improved. Uh, whenever they improve its capabilities, it means that uh, they're uh, they're doing it to fulfill a need. In this case, 
it's crystal clear that the North Koreans are mass producing the model of H-bomb warhead that they tested in 2017, test number six. And by mass produce, I mean, it's not like an assembly line or something, but they're enriching enough uranium so that they can have uh, the estimates are anywhere from 20 to 50 warheads that are actually on missiles. Now, can these actually arc out of North Korea at 38 degrees and reach the east coast of the U.S. and actually re-enter and be functional? We we don't know. But does anyone want to actually sit around and find out? No, no one does. And that's why we talk to North Korea, right? Well, the uh, the impression that most people got out of Singapore uh, was that President Trump was very satisfied with meeting Kim Jong-un and that denuclearization was just, you know, months away. Uh, nothing was signed, and going to Singapore and trading drinks and all that does not a uh, nuclear uh, deal make. You can ask anybody still in American government who who spent the weeks and months and months and months of prep that it took uh, to get a deal with the old Soviet Union, or ask the Soviets, ask the Russians. Um, y- y- this was the thing. They were a willing partner. Uh, the, the Russians saw the expense of nuclear weapons, and they saw the insanity of nuclear war the same way that we did. And they, they wanted these deals. But goal 1A uh, was to also get something out of the U.S. and wind up with an advantage. So for North Korea... There's uh, n- no such uh, precondition. They just know that they're not giving up their nukes. They just want to get stuff out of us. Uh, and they've determined that just shaking hands and nodding heads and all that is, uh, is good enough. At some point, President Trump is going to have his hangover. He's going he's gonna to wake up. He's going to realize that nobody in North Korea ever said anything about denuclearization. And that, in fact, if, uh, if what has been leaked... Um, was leaked to embarrass Trump, it probably is going to work. Uh, how will Trump deal with this? Uh, will he do the rational thing and quietly and in back channels talk to Kim Jong-un and say, uh, you know what? You did that to me. You didn't have to. It was deliberate. Uh, it wasn't a mistake. Uh, you're not in any way, shape, or form showing me that you're serious, that you're a serious a participant in a uh, effort to bring the the nuclear tension down on the Korean Peninsula. The the one thing that North Korea can say back, and this this is sort of my my takeaway on this, is that what what they should be saying is, well, until we have something on paper, there is nothing to do. We are returning the bodies of American missing, uh, missing in action. We're American dead. Um, and we are talking to the South Koreans at another lower level about pulling our artillery back uh, 40 kilometers from the DMZ uh, and, you know, and, and things like that. Though that's a one-sided deal, uh, by the way, because there's, there's no legitimate, tar- there are no decent targets in North Korea within range of South Korean artillery. There's, even if they, if they roll their wheels right up to the DMZ, there's nothing within range of South Korean artillery that's really worth a damn. Uh, the North Koreans, however, they can move their artillery back 40 kilometers. They can still blast the living uh, bulgogi out of Seoul. So it's sort of a cosmetic thing. But, hey, it looks like, look at this. We're, we're talking about rolling our artillery back. So anyway, the political takeaway on this, you'll see it tomorrow on the chat shows. Uh, is Trump embarrassed by this? I don't even know if he's been briefed on it yet. If he's briefed on it, he should be pissed.
Um, but then also, he shouldn't be surprised uh, unless he thought something happened in Singapore that we all missed. But there was uh, no agreement and nothing was signed. The only agreement was, well, we should do this more often. Well, at some point, the North Koreans have to be, their feet have to be held to the fire. And something has to be slid in front of them that says, we will absolutely disassemble irreversibly our nuclear arsenal and then sign it. That day is never going to come, in case you're wondering. But that's the point, apparently, when the, this American government or any other American government, government finally realizes that there's a new nuclear power on the face of the earth, and it's a really, really weird one. Uh, all right, back next hour, um, some, uh, some more out of Syria. Uh, the uh, RAF plane uh, guarding a, British, a secret base in Syria. Uh, but by dropping bombs on the Syrian army, they kind of revealed where this base was. But the British SAS have a secret base in Syria. We'll talk about that next hour. Also, uh, you'll have about you have one hour to become compliant in California, or else you're a felon. So make that uh, make that semi-automatic rifle compliant, or else it's going to be magically it's going to turn into an assault weapon um, here on Cinderella Night in California. Cinder Cinder Felon Night here in California. You're one hour away from being a felon. Uh, that and more. It's a dark secret place. Brian suits in here until midnight. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Dark secret place. This radioactivity is coming from Brian suits on KFI. I would bomb the shit out of him. Dark secret place with Brian suits on KFI. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Hour number two. Brian suits in here until midnight. Our weekly look at uh, the world melting down. We'll turn to Syria here in uh, just a minute. And we'll go back in time to uh, 1943. Uh, and also we'll go forward in time to, uh, to midnight. Less than, you have less than one hour to make your AR-15 style weapon California compliant. I know it already is California compliant, but that's California compliant from what, like five years ago? No, 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 no. That weapon that you have that's perfectly compliant right now is going to be uncompliant. It's going to be out of compliance in about 52 minutes uh, at uh, 11.59 and 59 seconds of the 30th of June, 2018. Uh, that Your evil pistol grip and other things must disappear off your AR-15 or else it must be registered as a Assault weapon, even though it looks like Franken Franken weapon anywhere else in the United States of America, but in California. <clears throat> but anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, the Sunday Times of London is, uh, I think, is it online yet? But anyway, on the Sunday Times edition for today, uh, pardon me, for tomorrow, our time, uh, Sunday. It's already, you know, it's been Sunday for a couple hours in, uh, in Great Britain. Um. There is uh, a story confirming that a Royal Air Force Typhoon fighter bomber uh, bombed Assad's army, the Syrian Arab army, the SAA, uh, uh, earlier this week. There, there have been a, a couple uh, weird interactions between probably the Israeli Air Force and Assad's army uh, in the south as the Syrians reassert their control of the uh, the Syrian side of the border with the Golan Heights, the uh, meanwhile the anti ISIS coalition 
Operation Inherent Resolve uh, continues to drop bombs on uh, ISIS as well as anyone who gets close to coalition forces. And so earlier this week, the uh, uh, British SAS, the uh, British Special Air Service, their uh, special forces, uh, were reporting that Assad Army forces, Syrian Arab Army forces, were getting close to a position of theirs. Uh, And I haven't seen the Sunday Times article yet. Uh, so I'm not going to say the name of the place, but the particular position that the British SAS have is actually a training base. Um, the uh, British SAS are doing what American special forces are doing, and that is training a competent anti-Assad um, Arab, ethnic Arab-based uh, guerrilla force uh, to turn into sort of a more conventional military. Because our our exit strategy out of Syria is to leave behind uh, a fairly competent ground force based based on uh, of uh, ethnic uh, Sunni Arabs uh, who are actual Syrian residences the residents, as well as a a separate and probably uh, equally lethal uh, Kurdish force called the YPG, but which will probably be slightly more lethal because they get supported by the, uh, the, the big mama PKK in, uh, in Turkey. But so anyway, that's our, our exit strategy is to leave these forces on the ground east of the Euphrates, the, uh, the Eastern third of Syria in the hands of a, uh, Sunni majority, uh, Arab ground force, which I think is a horrible mistake. Uh, and then also a, a Kurdish ground force uh, made up of Kurdish Syrians or Syrian Kurds, I should say. So anyway, the SAS are part of this operation. Uh, U.S. Army Special Forces are U.S. Army Rangers. Uh, certain NATO forces are. Uh, the, some of them will not leave Iraq. Um, they, uh, they, their, their mission won't let them. Their training mission uh, and mandate won't let them leave. Uh, the the mission uh, training the Iraqi army, uh, and that's primarily like uh, the Poles and the Norwegians and the Canadians. They they don't want any part of Syria, uh, but there are certain NATO militaries that are part of this mission, and the uh, the British are one of them. So anyway, the Syrian Arab army was getting close to this training base. They know exactly what it is, uh, and they know what our post uh, inherent resolve. Uh, Syria looks like, and uh, Assad doesn't want a, a part of that. Putin is also enabling him in, in that because what Assad wants, when the rebellion is done, and uh, Assad's being very successful in turning some of the rebel groups one by one by one um, back towards his regime by promising uh, amnesty um, and a continued place in the defense of Syria, which is a complete lie. So he's turning the rebellion slowly uh, against his own enemies. Uh, and, and, and the definition of enemy of Assad is he offered you a chance to surrender and you took it. So you're a friend. You didn't take it. You're an enemy. And you're probably going to be fighting the guys who uh, took the offer uh, because he's he has never had the arithmetic on his side. Uh, the entire Assad regime from Bashar to uh, his father Hafez has been based on the Alawite uh, minority uh, in charge of all of the civilian institutions from the secret police to social services to electricity, anything that can make people suffer when you call the guy and tell him to turn it off, whether it's uh, whether it's subsidized food, electricity, money, 
uh, childbirth, uh, uh, medical care, uh, or defense. And so that their model has worked and continues to work to this day. The uh, the Achilles heel is they don't have a lot of Alawites. Alawites are a decided minority uh, in Syria, and this is just the way it has been for several hundred years. But the coalitions that the Alawites made with Syrian Christians, uh, Chaldean Christians, Maronite Christians, uh, Syrian Jews, uh, and uh, Syrian Shia uh, have have been enough to uh, keep from getting pushed into the Mediterranean. So uh, just to reiterate, if you're flying a fighter plane for the Syrian Air Force, you're probably Alawite. If you're flying a helicopter or some training or transportation plane, you might be Shia. Uh, you might even be a Syrian Christian. But um, but if you're flying a uh, actual uh, you know dealer in death, a, a fighter bomber, uh, a uh, an Su-17 or a, or a Mig or something like that, you're probably an Alawite because there is just no way that uh, Assad's father, who was also a fighter pilot, uh, or Bashar Assad, who learned from his dad, you don't put someone uh, who dislikes the regime in a plane that can bomb your palace. I mean, it's it literally is that simple. So they're they're feeling they're smelling the barn in terms of uh, ending ISIS in Syria, uh, thanks to us and thanks to NATO. That's almost uh, a completed task. Uh, to what it really is now is wrapping up, mopping up what's left of some of the Al Qaeda people um, and some of the rebels. And the Al Qaeda people were taken care of. So in this case, the uh, the Syrians uh, took a wrong heading um, in their ground combat, and they got close enough to the SAS that a British typhoon bombed a Syrian uh, army uh, organization. There's no bomb damage assessment. It certainly was nothing like what the U.S. Air Force did to several hundred Russians back in February. Um, but at least the, the message was sent to uh, leave us alone. But that that uh, also uh, gives us sort of a, a insight into what the future of Syria looks like as far as NATO is concerned, and that is that we leave behind um, a ground force that is sort of recognizably organized as more of a conventional army. And then hopefully we put somebody in charge who, you know, uh, doesn't turn into a completely uh, radical S-bag uh, within a year of us leaving. And there's absolutely, if, if past is prologue and uh, with our history in that part of the world, uh, we'll probably put somebody in charge who will declare jihad on the United States the day after we leave or something like that. Um, all right, when we come back on this date, 1943, uh, it's a, a, uh, a symbol, a representation of a greater tragedy of World War II that we never talk about right after this. Dark Seeker Place, Brian Suits in here. Uh, how to make your California your rifle in California compliant a little later on in the show. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight. Next break, uh, we'll check in and see if you're working furiously to make your AR-15 style rifle California compliant. You have a little over half an hour to do it. Well, on this date in 1942... Uh, a tragedy uh, happened, and it was not the first or last time uh, this happened. In World War II, in the, the aftermath of Pearl Harbor, uh, the one American naval force that was virtually untouched uh, out of Pearl Harbor were the American submarines. The uh, Japanese failed to hit the submarine pens. They failed to understand strategically the role that submarines were going to play, which is inexcusable for the Japanese because they were an island country. 
uh, almost 100% reliant, reliant on imported uh, petroleum and iron ore and the other stuff that you, you know, make war with. Uh, so what should have been a priority for the Japanese was, in fact, left off the list. Uh, American submarines out of the Philippines uh, escaped, and the uh, the all-important subpens uh, and uh, resupply depots at Pearl Harbor were untouched. So by this time, 1942, the Battle of Midway um, had uh, had been completed, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, the United States prevailed. We didn't know it yet, but the Japanese, that was a pivot point in the Pacific War, but only because the American submarines were putting pressure on Japanese homeland by strangling them of the raw materials that it takes to prosecute a war. Uh, the, the Japanese really uh, have no excuse for this because they had a model going on at the same time in the Atlantic where the Germans were nearly succeeding in strangling Britain of food and other materials. And they learned their craft from the British in World War I. The British nearly starved Germany in World War I. The difference is the Germans learned their lessons. Um, the Japanese did not. So, um, so there, there's a, another side of this coin. The Japanese had a habit of transporting POWs, allied POWs, uh, as well as medical ships, in unmarked freighters. Uh, they, the freighters would be flagged with the Japanese uh, imperial flags, but they would not be marked in accordance with the Geneva Conventions um, with either a Red Cross or a giant letter P uh, or whatever. So on, on this uh, date, on the night of the 30th of June, the USS Sturgeon which came out of Fremantle, Australia, was patrolling in the South China Sea near the Chinese island of Hainan uh, at around 10 p.m. when they sighted a darkened ship. Uh, the ship was moving really fast. It was moving 17 knots. And the USS Sturgeon surfaced and actually ran with their diesel engines, their air-breathing diesel engines, to, to try to get ahead of the ship to get a good shot. So um, by the time... Uh, they got within 18,000 yards. It was past midnight. So now it's uh, the 1st of July, 1942. And uh, the captain, uh, the patrol report by Commander W.L. Wright um, is what I'm going to read. This is from after midnight, 1 July, 1942. Uh, quote, proceeding to intercept target as before, altered course to gain position ahead of him, dove at 0146. When he got in periscope range, it could be seen that he was larger than first believed. Also, that his course was a little bit to the left of west, leaving us some 5,000 yards off the track. We, we were able to close some 1,000 yards of this. We turned to fire the stern tubes. Uh, let me break away from this. Submarine, American submarines, German, British, all World War II submarines had uh, usually four forward tubes to shoot a spread of four torpedoes, um, but usually at least two stern tubes so you could fire getaway shots or you know whatever you have to. Uh, in the case of the USS Sturgeon, there were four stern tubes. Uh, the captain indicates in his report that uh, he only had three tubes available forward, and he wanted to fire four torpedoes to ensure a, a hit. Um, <clears throat> at, so I go back. Uh, at 0225, we fired four torpedo spread, range 4,000 yards, from the aft tubes. At 0229, heard and observed an explosion about 75 to 100 feet Rear of the smokestack at 0240, observed ship sink, stern first. At 0250, surfaced, proceeded to eastward, 
completed battery charge, ship believed to be the Rio de Janeiro Maru, or very similar type. A few lights were observed on deck just before the explosion, but there was apparently no power available. Well, it turned out to actually be uh, the Montevideo Maru of, the, of a similar class. And the other thing was it wasn't a freighter. It was carrying POWs and not just a few POWs. The Montevideo Maru was uh, packed with 1,056 Australian POWs and civilians uh, who the uh, Japanese had captured from New Britain and were taking back to uh, China to a POW camp. Um, this turned out to be the worst maritime disaster to befall Australia. Uh, the Japanese did not uh, contact the Australians and announce this during the war. The facts only became known at the end of the war uh, because a list of Australians captured uh, was, uh, was discovered. Uh, the Japanese couldn't account for them. Only then did the Japanese admit that they had been on this ship, the Montevideo Maru. Uh, stories that some Japanese have escaped the sinking, um, or even a few Aussie prisoners have continued to circulate. Uh, but to this day, the uh, the Japanese have been silent on this, and it continues to create friction between Australia and Japan. But on this day, 1942, uh, is when that happened. All right, we'll be back in just a minute. Make your AR-15 style rifle California compliant. Brian sits here, Dark Secret Place, KFI, AM640, more stimulating talk. KFI, AM640, more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place, and what a night. What a night to be on the air. We are a little over 20 minutes away from that uh, legal semi-automatic uh, AR style firearm that you have, of course, locked and unloaded in uh, in your house here in California. We're about 25 minutes away from that being an assault weapon, and and you have uh, five options uh, to to deal with it. W- what makes it an assault weapon? Well, let's let's go down the list, shall we? Um, a semi-automatic center fire rifle that does not have a fixed magazine but has any of the following: a a pistol grip, b a thumb hole stock. In other words, if you can wrap your thumb and grip it like a pistol grip. So that's B. C, a folding or telescope, telescoping stock. D, a grenade launcher or flare launcher. E, a flash suppressor. Or F, a forward pistol grip. Those are the evil features that make it an assault weapon here in, a, in about 23 minutes. Uh, now, keep in mind, if you have a muzzle brake, you're fine. Not a flash suppressor. So what are your options? You don't want to. Uh, you don't want to touch it. You're sitting there saying, "I don't get it. How can you make a law after the fact? Isn't that a ex post facto law?" Well, never mind that. We're in California. California uh, gun law is built on after the fact laws. Well, you have uh, five options right now. You have five options. Get to your computer because option number one is register because. Um, by midnight, by 11.59 and 59 seconds, that's going to be an assault weapon, a firearm that was lawful to acquire and possess um, right up until midnight tonight uh, is going to be considered an assault weapon in about 23 minutes. Uh, you can register it. You can go to CFARS, C-F-A-R-S dot D-O-J dot C-A dot gov, and you can register that some bitch. So you can, that thing in your closet, locked up and all legal and happy right now, uh, that is a semi-automatic rifle. That's California compliant. In 22 minutes, it's going to be an assault weapon. So you better get online. Or modification. Option two, modify that bitch. 
uh, if if a rifle, remember what I read to you, those features A through F, um, if a rifle does not have any of the features listed uh, that I listed before, A through F, um, then it is not an assault weapon under the recent change to California law. Removing or changing all of these features may prevent the firearm from meeting the definition of an assault weapon. For example, one may replace the pistol grip with a aftermarket grip uh, that does not have a way to wrap your thumb around it. So it's not a pistol grip. Um, you may pin or rivet the telescoping stock in place or buy a new one uh, or remove the so-called flash suppressor or replace it with a muzzle brake. You'll notice that the magazine uh, is not a part of this. So if you do these things to modify it, you can now have a removable 10-round magazine. Isn't that weird? Um, or you can do option B. Uh, this is this is 2B. 2A is a so-called featureless build. 2B is a California-compliant build. If you remove one of the three prerequisite features for the new assault uh, weapon definition, um, the firearm can then still have all the features listed up, up above, uh, mo except for the grenade launcher thing. Most firearm owners chose to install an aftermarket device on the rifle that causes the firearm to have a fixed magazine. The parts replace the so-called bullet button magazine lock. The devices prevent the magazine's release unless the uh, unless or until the upper receiver is pivoted up from the lower. So you can keep the pistol grip. Um, you can keep those other things uh, as long as you remove that bullet button and make that magazine absolutely fixed. Or you can surrender the pistol grip and have yourself a removable 10-round magazine. So that's on you. Some owners are choosing to affix their magazines to the firearm by welding or epoxying the magazine to the receiver and then loading the firearm through the chamber breech. Um, I don't recommend that. But uh, anyway, option three, or we're running out of time. We're coming up on only 20 minutes until you're a felon, you legal Californians. Option three, disassembly. A firearm has to be assembled and functioning to be an assault weapon. Consequently, disassembling the firearm or removing a crucial part of the firearm that will prevent it from functioning, like the bolt carrier group, or even taking the upper receiver off the lower receiver should take the firearm out of out from under the so-called assault weapon definition. You see what's happening here? You literally disassemble the rifle at home in in 19 minutes. You literally take the upper receiver off, and you're fine. That's not an assault weapon. It, it's it's only an assault weapon when you put that back on because the zombies are overrunning your front yard or whatever. Uh, we better hurry up now because we're only down to our final two options. Option number four, sale or surrender. They love this. Assault weapons can be surrendered to law enforcement or sold to properly licensed assault weapon dealers and sold out of state to out of state dealers. That's option four. And that brings us right to option five, removal from California. This probably is not an option here with about 19 minutes to go. Uh, however, uh, it is an option. Some firearm owners are taking their firearms out of California. Firearm owners choosing this route should be mindful of other state laws and federal transfer requirements, particularly if the firearms are in a location where others may access them. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm doing the shake weighty motion, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm acting like I have a brass pole because I'm a fireman, and I'm, I'm polishing it with brasso. Um, anywho, uh, once removed from the state of California, it cannot be brought back into the state in a assault weapon configuration. So those, those are your uh, options between now and midnight. Uh, those are the quick tips from uh, the uh, the NRA. And I'm sorry, I said NRA. I'm absolutely wrong. This is from the California Rifle and Pistol Association. 
and the NRA, the CRPA. If you're going to give money to either group, give it either or. Give it to the California Rifle and Pistol Association, not the NRA. Uh, I'll tweet out a link to the uh, to the document, so uh, you, you know, so you can read it and see whether or not you're going to be in compliance or not. But that is happening. Eleven fifty nine and fifty nine seconds. We're only uh, uh, we're down to the double digits before you you could be a California felon. We'll be back right after this dark secret place in here until eleven fifty nine and fifty nine seconds. On KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Uh, while you're busy working on your AR-15s, um, as we speak very quietly below the surface of the Atlantic Ocean, is a throwback to the Cold War. Uh, Russian naval forces, uh, Russian submarines resurgent uh, and recovered from basically the lost decades of the 90s. And then the 2000s uh, are uh, back with a vengeance. Uh, Russian technological advances, which were, by the way, if, if, in case you don't know this, were very impressive during the Cold War. Uh, one part of uh, Russia's arsenal, nuclear and conventional, uh, their submarine force was extremely competent and in many, many cases would have had some nasty surprises for us had we ever crossed swords with them in the North Atlantic in a general Warsaw Pact versus NATO war. For instance, uh, the, the Russians surprised the hell out of us because they had perfected uh, a uh, underwater missile, the Shkval, uh missile, which was something we, we could never do. We could, we could never encase a missile with a thin layer of gas uh, so that it could slip through the water at 200 knots. Well, the Russians did, uh, and it would have been ugly because we frankly didn't have a countermeasure for it. Uh, the downside is the thing was loud as hell. Uh, absolutely loud as hell. You could hear it coming uh, a mile away, and uh, it it would have revealed uh, the uh, the Russian sub's uh, location. But but uh, uh, so anyway, um, I say this because we have another guy, another guess what? Green card holding, uh, former uh, immigrant from uh, from communist China, uh, working at a high tech company on the East Coast in Connecticut. Um, giving hardware, actual uh, export-restricted, top-secret American submarine tech hardware to a front company in China. I mean, we I would be shocked if we have any nuclear sub-secrets uh, uh, left. Uh, you can track the FBI uh, investigations and arrests over the past three years to, to simply see that the Chinese are aiming at our submarine technology – including an active duty, super, super cleared, high-ranking naval officer who originally was Taiwanese, who the Chinese turned uh, to give American anti-submarine technology to the Chinese. But uh, so anyway, meanwhile, the former Soviets are looking more and more Soviet every day. The world's three largest naval powers are all developing the next generation of their nuclear submarine fleets. Uh, for now, at least, analysts say America remains by far the most dominant submarine force, even as its chief rivals work feverishly uh, to overcome the U.S. advantages. Each, and By the way, work feverishly means spy. Uh, each country appears to have different strategic goals. Uh, with the U.S. is bent on gaining greater cost and operating efficiencies, while the Chinese and Russian are keenly focused on technological advances and achieving greater stealth. They, they want to do more with less. We have a lot of submarines. And they're very, very, very quiet. The Russians don't want as many submarines as they had in the Cold War. 
Well, they want them to be as quiet as ours. Um, the uh, the upcoming Trump Putin summit seems to be a, a, a bit of a, a balloon juice sort of event. Uh, Putin is stating that he wants to pull back on things like this uh, all the time or uh, all the while. Currently, he's flooding the Western Atlantic with Russian submarines, aggressively patrolling the way they did during the uh, the Cold War. Uh, and then, oh, by the way, the Russians are are very aggressively developing second strike weapons. Uh, two in particular, which they've publicly announced, are nothing but second strike weapons. Uh, the nuclear powered cruise missile, yes, and they've already flight tested it, um, can fly all around the world for days and days and days, possibly weeks before it hits its, tar- its target. And then the Russians have um, that uh, huge nuclear powered stealth torpedo that's about one third the size of a regular submarine. So these are both second strike, what so called dead hand weapons, meaning that Moscow is a burning hole. And these uh, weapons execute uh, some pre-planned uh, missions. So, uh, so that's what the Russians are busy doing. We have nothing like that. We've never developed that stuff simply uh, for the reason that it's provocative. And it makes it look like uh, you're actually planning on surviving a nuclear war. Uh, and if you can't, here's a second strike weapon. It looks like you're planning to win a nuclear war. And that's something that uh, both sides, U.S. and Soviet Union, during the Cold War tried really hard to not, you know, have that appearance. So so anyway, that's what's going on in the Atlantic right now. It's just like old times. In fact, the U.S. Navy is tapping into recently retired uh, 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 anti-submarine officers, uh, both pilots and skippers, uh, as well as submarine skippers and things like that for advice, because this is a skill, uh, this is a, 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 a competency, an institutional competency that the U.S. Navy uh, mastered you know, for 47 years. But frankly, in the two decades where Russian submarines sort of went off the radar, metaphorically, uh, that skill, that muscle memory uh, atrophied in the U.S. Navy. Uh, All right. Well, uh, I hope you're all done making your rifles California compliant. Uh, I'll check your work tomorrow. Uh, Tomorrow at 8 p.m. It is Super Hyper Local Sunday. Uh, Join me right back here. Brian Suits out at Dark Secret Place on the Twitter machine. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. Here on KFI AM640, more stimulating talk.